0: hello and welcome to two hearts a new who
1: podcast i'm callum and i'm james and this is the only podcast that you'll find on the top story of the liverpool museum Every week here on Two Hearts, we take a look at another episode from the 2005 Doctor Who revival. But today, and for the next six uh, consecutive weeks, we will actually be breaking from tradition so that we can, in real time, react to the latest Series 13 of Doctor Who uh, flux. And so today, we are looking at the first episode, the Halloween Apocalypse. But as always, a quick reminder that if you want to join in on the conversation, we would absolutely love to hear from you. So we are on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, at Two Hearts Pod, and that's to the number two. Or if you have more complicated thoughts, you can email us at twoheartspodcast at gmail.com. Callum. Hi. We we have fluxed. We fluxed. We fluxed chapter
0: one. Um We're feeling we're feeling it. We're feeling it,
1: right? Yeah, I think that we are Surprisingly Positive on this Like I, I want to state that up front Because I know that you know A lot of times when you tune into Two Hearts You expect uh, quite a critical hour and a half About <laughs> Doctor Who um, But at the moment We are both in a pretty good place With the Halloween apocalypse uh, We've both watched it twice now It's an episode that we I think we'd both agree um, Probably needs a second viewing uh, Because it's, mm. uh, it's a lot I, I'm not convinced that it's necessarily A good time But I think it's a fun time
0: yeah, I mean, it all depends on how you define, like, what a good Doctor Who episode is. And, like, there is so much happening in this episode that it's hard to sort of pin down exactly what makes it good, because it's not a complete story, as I think a lot of people have pointed out online already, is the fact that it's the first of a six-part story. You can't really determine its goodness as a story. But as a, as a self-contained episode and as a piece of entertainment, I actually found myself really enjoying this week and really enjoying dr who being back um so we are going to start off on a great note this week (laughs) (laughs)
1: <laughs> For once, it it is definitely a nice change of pace. Um, I, it, it's in my notes to talk about later. But the moment that she is like, you know, you know, he's not going to get rid of us that easily. Slams that handle down, and it cuts to the credits. I was like, yep, you know what? Fuck it. No matter how many you know hours of critical uh sort of discussion we've recorded about uh, Chibnall's era over the past year or so, I am completely excited to be back into this um and i think mm. that's, that's something that i do tend to forget um is that you know a lot of my cynicism does melt away in the moment like it might you know recalcify later and we'll, we, we'll get to that uh, sort of as we sort of go on with flux um but yeah an initial reaction was surprisingly positive for me i was i mean I, okay, so, you know, to paint yourself a picture here, I got up at 10 to 6 in the morning uh, in, in our little South Australian uh, time zone to watch this. ABC Ivy didn't put it up until about 2 past 6 anyway, so I was deeply frustrated. But by the end of the episode, <clears throat> I, had, I had a headache, and I don't know if that's because I had to wake up so early to watch it or if because it is just a it's a cacophonous episode. Like, there is so much happening in the Halloween apocalypse to its detriment and to its benefit, I think, which is, you know, maybe my headline thought here is that, like, um, the chaos that ensues here does make for a more interesting viewing experience than the very um, clinical Mm. ways that Series 12 deployed its story. I mean, I'll err on the side
0: of caution or a better phrase than that um, and say that I think actually all of this is very intentional. There's a line that comes pretty much halfway through the middle point of the episode where, you know, the doctor says to Yaz, nothing, something along the lines of, you know, there's nothing ordinary about this night. Yaz, like everything feels Hmm, out of sorts. And I think that is going a long way to sort of explain how we should be viewing this. It's not, this is the first of like, it's the first of six parts as I've already noted, but it's also an extremely incomplete story. And part of the joy is going to be, watching i think week from week and threading it together and so we are kind of experiencing when i think about this it's actually really exciting we're kind of experiencing what the doctor's adventures actually might feel like to them in terms of the time trickiness the way that the like plots develop over multiple
1: time periods i am yeah i agree i i find myself in a position of uh surprisingly good faith I guess, hmm. with with this, uh, with, with Flux as an experiment because um, a, a lot of the critical discourse about this episode since it's dropped, um, very justifiably so, has been centered around the idea that, you know, you've got some people being like, well, you can't truly criticize this because it's the first of six parts that are going to make a whole. And you've got another, another bunch of people being like, well, no, but you still have to take it on its whole. And as a whole, is it is it too messy? Is it introducing too many things? And I kind of think both are correct. I It's one of the rare times that I look at the general sort of... Um, cultural discussion around Doctor Who and I'm just not around with all of it because I'm like yeah it it is messy and it does introduce too much and I think it does it in a very clunky way in a lot of ways um, but at the same time What is here is intriguing and kind of exciting. And so I understand wanting to give it the space to let it evolve, tell its story, and then sort of finally at that end point, see if this was a good beginning point or not. Mm -hmm. Um, That makes our job particularly tricky here, uh, given that we're going to be reacting week by week. And, you know, shout out to anyone who has to professionally cover this show, because I can't imagine what (laughs) this would be like with an actual editor looming over you. Um, But I am excited to see where a lot of these plot threads go. Agreed.
0: I think uh, a good way for us to talk about this episode, because obviously we're not going to do a plot synopsis for you all, because you would have just listened to, uh, watched, I think, the episode. Um, But a good way that we can sort of tackle it is just by going, let's just start at the beginning and let's just talk about what actually happens in Flux chapter one. Do you agree? Completely
1: agreed. That opening scene, Uh (laughs) Um, the first time I watched it, uh i've got i've got dms that are going to speak to this like there's a history of the internet of of me saying i think that was kind of a mess as an opening scene didn't particularly care for the cgi and it reminded me of the rise of skywalker in all the wrong ways i don't even disagree with my past self on those points i think there's a very legitimate criticisms but when i watched it the second time i was like yeah but it's fun yeah um, and, and that's such a, a, a weak uh, sort of um, objective or critical point no. to sort of discuss this from, but that is ultimately where I'm at. Like, it is just a really fun opening scene. You're absolutely right. And it. I think it pays to compare it to, like,
0: the opening of The Woman Who Fell to Earth and uh, Spyfall, which I think are pretty forgettable, like, episodes in general. Yeah. Um, but as pretty forgettable openings as well. Like you, if I asked you what happens at the start of Spyfall, you probably couldn't tell me, right?
1: Oh well, I mean, like I can because I just recently oh, okay. rewatched well, that... Spyfall. Well, well, I tried to rewatch Spyfall Part One. I fell asleep, but um, <laughs> yes, I take your point. But it's not—you're not like, wow, that was amazing, and I can't wait for this story to
0: begin. This was just like this was almost like classic Doctor Who in not in the like, oh, it's from the past, but in the like, it, it represents some of the best things about what the show can do, which is that it's fun. It's vibrant. It's, there's a, like a sense of danger and a sense of, of, uh, not exactly tension. Cause you know, the doctor's going to get out of it, but like adventure, I guess. Um, and fuck, I think from the, the very first scene,
1: Jodie was just like magnetic on it. Uh, yes, agreed. I think an overall talking point that you and I definitely want to hit today is that um, Jodie seems a lot better in in flux than I, I think she's been before in the role, um, and it that's very exciting to us because uh, you know we I think we both said to each other before Halloween Apocalypse premiered like we want to like this we we want to like a Jodie season, um, and so that it's gotten off on as strong a foot as it has here with her performance is really good. But we'll we'll get to that in a bit. That opening scene, the I've seen a lot of complaints about the cgi um and i do agree i think that um you know when we talked about the trailer we even said this about this scene as well because another thing is that so much of this first episode is just from that trailer um Mm. which is exciting and we'll get to that on its own part um but i don't think it looks particularly fantastic um it's it it looks kind of hokey and kind of janky um but i also think that doctor who has a very rich history of being a janky hokey looking show and that being an inherent part of the charm and Mm -hmm. i understand that in an age of you know um prestige television we look to these things with maybe a bit more of a critical eye now we want them to to look as as good as they can um i i get that impulse but i also think that it betrays the history of the show to assume that it needs to look like prestige television
0: uh yeah absolutely it's it's doctor who it's fun it's Intentionally artificial So Just go for the ride And I think that that Opening scene is great In that respect The Doctor and Yaz Kind of bounce Into the TARDIS Shall we say They uh, fall onto a trampoline (laughs) And then onto a bed Which a lot of people Have been like Mmm They've got a bed in the TARDIS Mmm
1: yeah, that was um, that's the only part of the scene that I didn't like. I don't think Chibnall knows how to end dangerous situations particularly well. He often just kind of like prematurely cuts them off with a goof, um, and I, I don't think that's that is particularly good um but you know you've got that really like extended gag of you know they've got the handcuffs on and it's like oh well i told him that we've got them because they are voice activated and so all i need to say is release and so it leads to Jody whittaker and mandip gill just screaming release into like these uh handcuffs in a very fake looking cgi scene and it's just it's just goofy like it's just it's just enjoyable um so i had a pretty good time with it mm. And then we get, obviously, the
0: the titles, which are unchanged, and then cut to a scene of some men talking about tunnels, which I forgot even happened until
1: the end of the episode. Oh! I forgot that it was right after the title sequence. Yeah, so, okay, here's the other thing. Structurally, this episode bounces around quite a bit. Like, it is obviously trying to introduce... I get the impression he thought he had to introduce every single plot thread that was going to be coming up in this uh, Flux miniseries. I think that's a a colossal mistake. It's far too much to focus on. Um, And it's even, it's made worse when, you know, you cut from like that really fun rompy adventure where, by the way, the the setup is that um, they've been captured by a alien in a mask called Carvanista. And now they're chasing him to earth because he's been like, oh, it's earth's final days and I'm going to go there and you can't stop me. That's that's where we're at in the story for now. Um, And then, yeah, you cut to these like dour businessmen being all like, oh, we need more bricks. Oh, <laughs> and it's just like, what? why are we here? It's oftentimes, it's in scenes like that that I think that
0: Chipnol's writing like capabilities capabilities are quite deficient. Because like, there's a whole, like, they spend so much time just being like, oh, if only you knew the things that I knew. And then he was like, oh, well, my brain is clearly the more clever of the two of our brains. And it's like. You could do this so much simpler, and then save some time elsewhere in the episode. But whatever, I'm not
1: <laughs> the scriptwriter. Yeah, here. look, it's it's a blip. It, it kind of is what it is. I think after that, we where do we land after that? Uh, we go straight to to present day Liverpool, where we meet one Dan oh. Lewis. <laughs> Dan the man, Dan the man Lewis is is finally here. Uh, what, what are your what are your feelings on on Dan?
0: I don't, I don't think I can judge him enough on this episode alone. Because if there were on this episode alone, um, I'd say he's probably the worst companion we've had ever. <laughs> I just uh- <laughs> think that, generally speaking... Uh, no, okay, that's quite a harsh take. Um, there are good elements to Dan's character in this episode. I think he will, cu- will probably get a lot of nice development as the show goes on. I just, in an already quite a heavy episode, the idea of introducing a new companion as well, uh, is like a very tall order. And I think they just about pull it off, but it's a lot of shorthand to sort of get you to understand who Dan is. And I don't feel like I do. I think the actor who plays him is quite good, uh, generally speaking, um, and definitely better up against uh one of our other companions but i think it's better left till
1: later uh what do you think of dan Um, I, um, (laughs) I messaged you, uh, you know, seven in the morning and I was like, Dan was my favorite part. (laughs) Um, And you had a conniption over that, which is understandable because we'd made our jokes about Dan before the episode aired. And I mean, look on rewatch, I I think that he oscillates between being a really great part of the episode and being just like really underwritten. Mm -hmm. Um, it's like you said, it's that shorthand Chibnall has a way of, uh, he's very clinical when he introduces uh like people into into the world of doctor who it's like hey i've got my three characteristic dot points and you're gonna hear about them in the first 30 seconds and that's me as a person um and then they tend to stagnate from there um and i think that that's been you know a problem across the past two seasons as we've talked about with those companions and why the fam didn't quite work as well as it could have um and so Seeing Dan introduced in a very similar way, I, I think, yeah, you're right, it's a very charming performance from um, the man who plays Dan, the man. Um, and I like, the in theory, what they're going for with this character. You know, he's introduced um, <clears throat> in that Liverpool Museum, and he's giving a tour and then instead of, oh, he's not a tour guide, actually, he's just like he's just like a, a, a tradie who wanders in there and and plays as a tour guide. Um, and I, I said this to you, like, I, I like the implication there that you've essentially got this, um, you know, middle-aged man in what feels like a very much a failure to launch situation, um, doesn't have that formal education in his life and so has ended up in a very, as we later see in the episode, he's on the poverty line. He's, he's clearly not doing well in his life. He's very directionless, doesn't have a lot of food in his ho- house it's, it's not a good picture that it paints for Dan. Um, and so I think all of this is like fantastic subtext for a character. Um, and I am interesting to, interested to see if the show grapples with any of those things um, as, a, as a companion mm. would. Because I feel like, you know, like, well, well, yeah, Rose wasn't, you know, super rich, but she wasn't on the poverty line either. We've never seen a character, maybe this down on their luck, get thrown into the crew. It, it feels very pointed to have him be like, oh, I didn't take the soup
0: and a later scene and to have to be, yeah. to make such a, a thing of it, I suppose that I, I would be very disappointed if they didn't at least acknowledge it in later episodes. Um You know, I Yaz, you know, has had, it's been here for three seasons and we know that her development has not been the best. So, you know, it's, I'm, it's not looking good, but uh I think that generally speaking, mm-hmm. this kind of character Is a good addition to Doctor Who if they come through and good
1: on that conceit. Agreed. Agreed. I mean, on the Yaz note as well, like, across... You know, it's interesting. She's had two full seasons where we don't feel like we've really gotten enough of Yaz. And then in the past two episodes alone, I feel like I've gotten full season... Like, what we should have gotten in those last two seasons. So, like, Revolution of the Dalek introduces the um, very Clara-esque pushing back on the Doctor, starting to question the sort of uh, companion Doctor dynamic and whatnot, and how unhealthy that can be. And then we sort of see that continue here... I don't think it, like it Obviously for me It's nowhere near What they do with Clara Because that took seasons For them to build up um, With Yaz there's, there's like a spark Of it there mm-hmm. You know There's a lot of scenes In this episode Where she pushes back On the Doctor um, In a very uh, explicit way Sort of calls her out For not telling her stuff And that is going to go on to talk to the characterization of the doctor in this episode that I think you and I have some very interesting thoughts on, but for Yaz here, I think she's, she's pretty good. Again, like I, I, I like Mandip Gill in the role, um, her and the doctor have clearly developed a very like co-pilot camaraderie, um, thing in the time since we've seen them. It sucks. We didn't get to see that. Um, but I do appreciate that it's here. If that makes sense. Uh, yeah, absolutely. It does. Um,
0: but from there, we get introduced also to Die, his girlfriend, um,
1: who well, girlfriend, partner, possible partner. It's it's weird. It's yeah, it's not fully fleshed out.
0: I felt like they were friends, but I've seen a lot of people say that he's, she's his girlfriend online. So I'm just going with that. Um, okay, her name's Die. That's all we pretty much
1: know about her. <laughs> Right now? Yeah. And they're going to have a date later that night on Halloween. Yes. Because it's Halloween. Because it's
0: Halloween, which leads to one of the better scenes of this episode, which is the Doctor's uh, psychic link with
1: the new enemy... Swarm. Oh, yeah. So the Doctor has force connections with the enemy of this series, which my, warms my little Star Wars heart. Um, you know, she is piloting the TARDIS, and then, like, she hears in her head this voice that's like, Ooh, psychic link reinitialized. And then when she's like, How am I seeing this? He's just like, Shh, don't worry about it. <laughs> and I i couldn't help but laugh. It was the most quintessentially chibnall choice he could have made in that moment to be like, eh, don't worry about it. This is just a plot device to, to get you to the next sort of scene here Um, and so in that sense again one of those clumsy overstuffing moments but it leads to like you said a phenomenal bit of doctor who
0: it's a really good scene i even if i do have to hand wave away the example you just gave and like how did swarm get out of his cage like again have to hand wave that away but just as a character introduction as uh, a bit of design work i think swarm looks amazing um, and as a jumping off point for this story, uh, I, I'm i genuinely intrigued. Um, especially because it's very closely interlocked with the Division stuff. Because uh, this enemy swarm mm. is being held captive by agents of the Division. It's not said explicitly, but they have the same guns and insignia as agents
1: from the last series. Um, um It is said explicitly, actually. I had to turn on subtitles to find this out. But he does say... When, when he kills the, uh, the first guard, he says to her, you know, this is your reward for all those years in service of the division.
0: Ah. The division? Yeah. Yeah. I think you're right. Does he say division instead
1: of the division? Yeah. Uh, no, he says the division. It's capitalized in the, um, subtitles. Uh, like it is like this is the division, um, and that that definitely leads us to. Okay, I want to talk about the swarm breakout scene because I love that scene. Uh, but just on a on a broader point here, um, you and I were both very excited that it's clear that Chibnall is not abandoning the Timeless Child stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, we don't necessarily. I don't, I don't know. We haven't really talked to each other lately about where we're at with that as a, as a plot choice that the last season made. Um, you know, messiness aside, you can feel one way about it or the other. Like, I think it's all very valid. Um, but I think everybody kind of assumed, in the same way he did veer left after the backlash to season 11, the season 12 backlash was even louder with the Timeless Child. And so, like, uh, I think a lot of us sort of assumed that he would veer again and and maybe just not pick up on it um and so to see the very first episode of flux like at the very top be like no no the division is at play here um later it's it's we find we find out why the doctor was pursuing carvenista the guy who captures her in the first place is because he's the last surviving member of the division and she needs answers about it like it's very much interwoven into the plot mm. um and that obviously comes back to the swarm as well um and that's just that's very Good, in my opinion. Mm. Like, I I don't know how I'm going to feel about how it all shakes out, but I am glad that Chibnall is sticking to his vision in that sense.
0: Uh, Agreed, because I think it would be kind of callous to introduce something as world-changing as The Timeless Child and then be like, actually, you didn't like it, so I'm going to avoid it. Like, even if people Mm. didn't like it, I have my own issues with it. I still want to see this story come to its conclusion. I think it deserves that now it's been introduced, and I'm really glad that it's not going away. And actually, it's being dealt with in a much more... Subtle's the wrong word, but in a lighter way. It's not every week, oh, we have to stop and talk about this. It's like, no, I'm just pursuing this now. And I want to know what comes up. What, is, what happened in my past
1: kind of thing. Um, yeah, like it's just become a part of her character, which is like everything we wanted it to be, you know? <laughs> exactly, exactly. And even if you know, so,
0: we still don't know who the 13th Doctor is, and I think this episode... There's a very specific scene that does deal with it a little bit. Um, at least we ha- she has a trajectory. In the same way that like Matt Smith and then into Peter Capaldi had a trajectory.
1: Yes. Um, it's good. Agreed the the swarm breakout scene though just to, to circle all the way back around um you know it's a very classic setup you've got very dangerous prisoner in an isolated sort of cell it's inside of a, a asteroid it looks cool and whatnot um and then you know the two guards show up it's the veteran guard who's been guarding this thing her whole life introducing the new rookie guard into the routine of hey this is what we do we come here we make sure that he's still locked up um and then it plays out you know it, admittedly I did laugh because she says to the rookie like no matter what he says do not engage with him and then he says one thing to this veteran guard and she's like you shut the fuck up like she just completely (laughs) loses her mind i feel like that was so Um, pointed because she's like
0: oh yeah don't engage in the conversation and then he says what he says and she's like you're locked in the cage you can't get out you're (laughs) trash and awful and it's like um take a look around girl
1: Yeah, exactly. Um, but look, I mean, the the kind of corniness of that aside, I I thought that um, the actress who plays that first guard, whose name I had up just before, uh, Sarah, uh, Sarah rather, uh, Sarah. Um, Amanqua. sorry if I butchered that name, I definitely did. Um, I thought that she had about, you know, a couple of minutes of screen time and really sold me the idea of this guard who had been guarding this monstrous evil for her entire life. Um, When she did lose her shit at the swarm, I believed the kind of vitriol that she had for him. Mm. Um, And then to see, like he says, her entire life's work come undone as we get introduced to the swarm's, uh, like, power, I guess, um, was, like, horrifying. Uh, If, you know, if only for the fact that the the way that Swarm kills seems to be just disintegrating somebody and then absorbing their energy. Well, is it absorbing their energy or is it a regeneration? Well, but the thing is you see it go into him and then he grows his crystals back.
0: Yes, I so I assume that he is taking other people's energy in order to
1: regenerate himself. Uh, Mm. which is a great twist on like if you want to talk about like a villainous version of the doctor the idea of like yeah i can regenerate too but to do it i steal life force as opposed to producing it mm. that rules uh truly
0: it truly um and it would be cool if we see that actually come to something um i do love the other guard in the who's the after swarm escapes and goes up to her and he's like oh i'm gonna kill you now and like grabs her wrist and she starts disintegrating and she's just like Ah, um, okay. I guess
1: I'm... (laughs) Because I'm disintegrating. Like, oh bother! <laughs> yeah, <laughs> by them. Oh uh, yeah, it's odd. Like it's and you know because we see that scene earlier in the scene. Uh, part of the swarm's power is that he can like clearly get in people's heads. Um, and so I was like, oh okay, maybe she was meant to be like slightly dazed by his mental powers, and they just forgot to add the special effects to her eyes to make it look like she was. Um, but it's it's just an odd little choice. And then that scene ends yeah. with. Maybe my least favourite creative choice in the whole episode. Um, we, we obviously, this is all part of the Doctor's, you know, quote-unquote, vision of, of him. And then he looks directly into the camera and goes, Trick or treat, Doctor. And it's just, <laughs> it's so dumb.
0: Especially because then, like, that's followed up with the Doctor, like, after this, the Doctor travels to Earth. And she's like, date stamp, October 31st. And then Yaz is like, Oh, Halloween, trick or treat. And it's like, who says that, yet?
1: Yeah, she has like a full on like PTSD moment. She's like, why did you say that? <laughs> oh, bless, bless. It's it's so goofy. Like, and I think the fact that we're we're laughing about it like this is an indicator that we are willing to let a lot of this slide. Like, again, I don't know if it's a good episode, but I, I'm having a good time talking about it. I had a good time watching it. Um, so they end up on Earth and they they go to Dan's flat because that's where the the trace of um Covenist is gun energy takes them to um there's a weird scene where she uh the doctor implies that poor people can't have oh, laptops
0: yeah like so they go So Carvinista captures that's a scene we need to talk about actually but Carvinista captures Dan, oh, yeah. and then the doctor and yaz go in there and they're like oh he's got a nice laptop and then they're like trying to figure out oh at this point they learn that carbonista's species uh have a like 7 billion strong fleet coming towards earth and they're like oh he's a getting ready for invasion and then the doctor's like actually you know the one thing that's really bugging me about this whole situation why does this poor piece of shit have a nice laptop and it's like doctor (laughs) don't poor shame oh that's
1: like i know you're a time lord but jesus Jesus.
0: um because it just like yeah it just feeds into that whole like oh poor people if you've got a nice type tv why are you poor like you should you're not yeah anyway
1: yeah, like, I don't think it was, like, malicious. No. I think it was just... Ch- Chibnall has these weird blind spots where he, he just... Uh, I don't know. He gets these weird little hiccups in his writing. Um, but, yeah, you're right. I did skip over the scene. So, Carvinista is finally revealed because, until now, he's been wearing a, a mask. And he takes his mask off. And, lo and behold, it's my favorite dog boy from the trailer. <laughs> um, if you listen to our trailer reaction, you know that, like, this dog was the thing I was most excited about. And I think, in practice... Mm. <laughs> um, it's He is part of a race Do you want to explain what Carvanista is? Sure,
0: Carvanista is part of the Lupari race And this is doesn- isn't revealed in this scene But later we find out that the Lupari are Because they're dogs Get this <laughs> a species bonded to humanity And so every Lupari has a human And they've come not to kill or invade Earth But to save all the humans by taking them onto their ships Which can somehow guard against the oncoming flux um Carvanista comes down Reveals himself to Dan And Dan's like Ugh, That's a nice mask And like strokes it And then he's like Oh it's quite soft actually <laughs> It's quite soft actually And it's like Dan This guy <laughs> kicked your door in Why are you <laughs> He
1: has a laser axe <laughs>
0: <laughs> What it just—it doesn't fail to astound me, and I think this is the worst uh, parts of Dan's characterization. Is like, in order to be the comic effect, they have to dumb him down. It's kind of annoying.
1: Yes, yeah, like uh, Chibnall's uh, brand of humor is—it's—it's um, it's a very silly brand of humor. It's very—he has a very childlike. Uh, sense of humor, I would say. Mm. um And so, yeah, you get this kind of whiplash when you go from scenes where Dan is looking in his cupboards and there's no food and he's like, shit, I'm too proud to take that food I got offered earlier. What a fucking idiot I am. And it's really effective and good. And then suddenly, you know, a space dog kicks in the door and he's like, oh, woof woof, what <laughs> are you then, sir? And it's just so odd. Especially the bit where he's like, that is a,
0: that you have, it, I'm, fuck, what did he say? Where he's like, Calvinista says, y- "You've caused me great indignity to my species, to my forebears." And Dan says, "You don't look like forebears. <laughs> like, for fuck's Dan. sake, <laughs> what, uh, what are you doing?"
1: Yeah. Um, but so, so yeah, that's that's definitely clunky and weird. Um, but you know, we go on.
0: Well, I do. The other thing I do want to say about Carvinista is that I know that you like the dog alien. I can get on that level. I think that the actor playing him actually gives him a nice voice and characterization. I just think that mask Mm -hmm. is not doing him any favors. And it's like, it's, it's, I don't know if this is intentional or not, but it looks like a Halloween mask. Like the eyes don't move. You barely see the mouth move in scenes where he's delivering like dramatic dialogue later in the episode. It's like so blank and expressionless. And you're like, this needed some more care and thought and less hair.
1: Uh yes, it's a very hairy suit. So, um, hairy. so yeah, yeah. Look, it, it it do be what it do be. Um, I think Covenister in general is like he's fine for the plot. You know, he, he's he's a very plot focused uh character. I would say the the idea that there's this race out there that's come to protect humanity from um, the approaching flux is. I mean, like, it's not not interesting. I just think that because Chibnall ties it up with the dog jokes, it just doesn't land at all. Like, it doesn't feel as cool as as it probably could feel. Um, But yeah, chaos ensues. uh, One of Carbonist's traps goes off and it shrinks the house. That's another thing about this episode that I'm kind (coughs) of confused by. And and this is Chibnall's writing in general I have this (coughs) problem with, is that the way he oscillates between just the most straightforward, aggressive exposition dumping. And then he'll always interrupt it to be like, oh, but what if something went boom? And mm. it's just, it's clunky. Um, And, and in, in this situation, a house gets shrunk and it's like, oh yeah, that was a really cool visual effect. It didn't add anything to anything though. Like you just kind of interrupted the flow of your story. Um, especially because immediately following well, this, we get introduced to another plot thread. Quickly
0: though, did you notice when they um shrunk uh, Carvinista's house, Two points, actually, on that. When they shrunk Carbonista's house, that it pulled the wall out from the other person's house and they were sitting on the toilet.
1: I did notice that. It's party humor.
0: It's like, (laughs) yeah, I don't know. It's just like another weird, like, oh, that's funny. Stick that in kind of attitude to Doctor Who. Yeah, exactly. The other thing is, where's Yaz's Lupari?
1: Truly. Yeah, like, does every companion have a lupari? Um, like, do they get notified when their their ward gets taken off Earth? What's the deal? <laughs> What's going on with Carpinista? Oh, <laughs> uh, anyway, Carpinista aside, uh, we get to um, one of... Now, this is the, the, the subplot introduction that I've seen people have the most problems with, just in terms of where it comes in the story mm. and that they they feel like it doesn't add anything to it. Um I vehemently disagree. We get introduced to a character named Claire. Claire. Um, So Yaz and the Doctor are parked in the... they're, They're standing outside the TARDIS. They're sort of having a conversation about what just went down. And this woman just approaches from up the street. And she's like, oh... Shit, it's the Doctor. Um, and we find out that the Doctor doesn't know Claire yet. And so clearly there's some wibbly-wobbly, timey-wimey shit going on here. And Claire has this very, like... She's partly kind of, like, afraid and excited and just this weird, like, you know, mix of emotions. Um, the actress who plays Claire, whose name I'm getting up right now... Annabelle Scholley. Annabelle Scholey. Scholley? Sholey Scholley. Annabelle. Um just knocks this performance out of the park if you ask me like this this is an episode i think that's full of really good supporting performances Mm. um and annabelle probably delivers my favorite one um and you know the the doctor uh, part of that characterization we were going to talk about a bit later is that the doctor throughout the story is very single-minded and so you know these new faces keep coming into the doctor's uh sort of orbit and she's always just like i just I literally don't have time to deal with this right now. And she kind of fucks off. And so she gets back in the TARDIS. Yaz gets back in the TARDIS. And a small stylistic touch that made me lose my mind, I was so happy with it, is that it cuts to this wide shot of Claire standing in front of the now-closed TARDIS in the middle of an empty street. And it, it switches almost from, like, a steady cam to more of, like, a slight shaky, like, handheld version of things. Mm. It's very subtle. And then it cuts uh, to a close-up to Claire, and she's like, you know, you have to go home, Claire. Um, and it's just it's got so much mystery and so much weirdness infused in the stylistic choices that they made in that scene that when I see people be like, Oh, we didn't need that. I'm like, no, we didn't need the tunnels in Liverpool. Mm. I feel like whatever Claire is a part of is quite exciting. Yeah. Like I'm definitely intrigued now
0: to sort of see where this story is going. And I speculated to you that possibly we're in for a time loop kind of story with the weeping angels. If they go for shorter time loops on the people that they send back in time. Um, and yeah. it would be, it would totally recontextualize this whole scene as well. And I think that's one of the, this scene is exemplifying some of the strengths of this format. It's like, you can put in this little random scene and be like, just park that for now. It will pay off. And that's really cool and exciting. Um, I love the actress. And like, I mean, I, oh, sorry. <laughs> thank you. I love the actress. Um, the line that she says where she was like, I was just taking the long way home because it's Halloween. It's like. Mm. Mm -hmm. So good. Um, And then obviously then the ensuing attack on her is uh, just reminds you like why the weeping angels are actually quite good.
1: It does. Um, I do remember the first time I watched it, though, and she rounded that street and there was the Weeping Angel in the middle of the street. I literally said out loud, sure, fuck it. Why not? (laughs) Um, Because by this point in the episode, you're kind of like, yeah, okay, I guess you're just going to literally introduce everything to me here. Um, And so I didn't necessarily... Like, I did find that a little bit jarring to be like, oh, okay, this is like literally like a whole other subplot that we're now having to deal with. But yeah, she gets zapped back in time by the Weeping Angel, which is obviously going to explain how she's met the Doctor at some, you know, time shit. It's it's Doctor Who, you mm. get it. Um, so I'm I'm definitely like you said, I've parked that in the back of my brain because of that performance and the kind of little touches in that scene. That's the one I'm most excited to get back to. Um, I. Do you- when do we meet Vin? Can I just say one thing? Yeah. Claire's line.
0: Uh, I was just taking the long way home. Some people have, and you'll love this online, suggested she might in fact be a Clara, because Clara's last line in the show
1: was uh, going to Gallifrey the long way round. Mhm. Oh, I know. And it also hasn't escaped my keen eye that Annabelle Scully, uh, Scully. Kind of looks like Clara But Ooh
0: <laughs> Look In this show Where we try and insert Clara In any opportunity I feel like this Is as good an opportunity as Truly any.
1: Well I mean There's a couple of references To classic uh, Companions In this episode So yeah You get you get that, um, that That line from From Claire And then Like I said just before We're about to I think we're about to meet Vinda And he is on uh, Was it Space Station Rose? Yeah
0: One of the less subtle Ones Uh, (laughs) (laughs) but yes
1: yes like it could the only way it could have been less subtle is if he was like oh space station rose reporting in i'm just eating my chips or space station
0: martha jones reporting just being a doctor
1: (laughs) (laughs) um vinda vinda is one of the things that i would have cut from this episode i think along with the tunnels um his his uh contribution here is isn't necessary because it is largely just a um. Yeah. He he's dressed like the the division people. I think it's probably pretty safe to assume that he, he's he's one of them. And he's he's set up in this space station where he's watching over uh, like a, I don't know a patch of galaxy. Mm. And with the the dialogue is you know like oh I've been here forever. Once again, there's nothing going on. My report again today is that nothing has changed. And then of course you know uh, assumedly um what's his name Mr Mr Flux Mr Swarm. Flux. Okay. <laughs> uh, we assume Swarm's, Swarm's flux starts, you know, eating planets in front of him. And he's like, oh, God, the the, the something's here. Because he doesn't really seem to know what the flux is. Um, so I'm not sure what he's looking for in that part of space. That's technically another thing you have to park for later. But I thought it was less Im- interesting this time, just because the dialogue here was so uh, uh, so workmanlike.
0: Yeah, it's it's not a great introduction. And especially because Vinda was so big as, like, the next big recurring character for this story i kind of feel like mm. actually this episode should have focused on dan solely and then introduced vinda next week like you suggested just so be like okay yep. got dan out of the way now here's
1: here's vinda <laughs> yes yeah very much so um but look then we we move on from vinda we've got uh what happens next is it the the arctic stuff well, we kind of... That's
0: peppered in. We haven't really touched on that yet. Um, the yeah. other...
1: I, I, our idea of following this, you know, chronologically has fallen apart because there's just too much to remember. <laughs> um, there is.
0: And... But this is a good scene because we get one scene where we're, it, it's a house in the Arctic Circle somewhere. It's a couple um, and they get a, a beacon message telling them something we don't know, to which the the female of this couple... Ugh. Um, Hate that I just said that. Um (laughs) she smashes the the beacon and she's like, Not today. Um This is then followed by another scene where a swarm visits her, kills her partner, and then I guess opens up some mask or thing on her mind that made her forget who she was,
1: because then she like is like, Thank you. And he yeah, she has that really creepy line where she's like, you know, why is this thought in my mind? And he's like, what thought? Thank you. It, it's really good, subtle horror stuff. Like, I I really like any time Mr. Flux is on screen. I'm making that name stick, by the way. <laughs> I'm not calling him Mr. Flux. <laughs> <laughs>
0: especially because, like... Uh, yeah, it really... Especially because, oh. like, I feel like people have been calling him Mr. Swarm, and I just... Ugh, no, it's Swarm.
1: I mean... It- everything's terrible but look it is what it is um so my running theory uh because look we're in a rare opportunity here where you know we don't know what's going to come next and so we can sort of like preserve our, our thoughts and feelings before we know what happens and that's kind of exciting for us my running swing for the fence theory is that that house in the arctic was a tardis um and whatever is going on uh it's like a fugitive of the jejune situation where uh mr flux's sister had been hidden there inside of her own TARDIS, blah, 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 something, you know, plot. Um, And then later on when we see uh, die waiting to be picked up for her date, she gets called into this like spooky house that has this like weird light emanating from inside. And, you know, uh, the sister gets inside her head and compels her to walk inside. I think that's the same Uh, That's the TARDIS again. Now it's just moved. That's why that house is so sort of out of place on that street. Um, Yeah, I'm just preserving that theory here because if I'm right, that would be a great get for me. It would
0: totally make sense because, like, they're in the Arctic Circle. There is nothing there and yet they have running water and electricity. I'm not buying it. Yeah. And chilies. And chilies. Where do they get the chilies from? (laughs) (laughs) That's who that character Um, is now.
1: He's just chili man. Chili. <laughs> it's chilly man and woman <laughs> um yeah so look that that's that uh we get some more stuff with with Carvinista and the doctor we get um i think yours and i's favorite joke oh, in the whole episode. so good
0: can i can i say it please please do. um yeah. so the doctor and yaz land on carbonista ship um dan's realized he's in space it's all very good um and then uh oh wait no there is one oh fuck there is one other scene, but we've skipped over it, and I feel like we should talk about it, but I'm going to... Uh. I feel like we're fully out of order here anyway, so let's, like, just just talk. Okay, so the Doctor and Yaz land on Kavanese's ship, they get out, Doctor makes a plan, as she normally does, and then she says, if you hear gunfire or explosions, get back sharpish. Synchronise watches. Forget that, I'm not wearing a watch. <laughs> and it's just like, <laughs> quick, fire, Jody and She just jokes. runs off. <laughs>
1: Yeah, like Jody, Jody really is firing on all cylinders here. I, I want to sort of leave our, our notes on her performance until our our sort of like general notes at the end. What is that uh, scene that you want to talk about? Well, the scene I wanted to talk about is like
0: so. The Doctor and Yaz go into the TARDIS after the Weeping Angel lady shows up, um, and Yaz's has been Yaz has been doing the whole "you don't tell me anything, I feel like I'm just like on this journey with you, I don't know where I'm going, and you you keep secrets from me" shtick. The Doctor has a really cruel line. And I really hate it because, you know, Yaz says, you know, what's going on? She mentions that the doctor had like a vision and she's like, what vision? You know, you didn't mention anything. And the doctor says, you know what, Yaz, I don't mention everything. And it's like, okay, that's mean. Um, why are you being so snarky with Yaz? And then she has the gall when Yaz says, no kidding, to be like, are you being Mardy? Assuming, meaning, are you being like grumpy? And it's like you yeah. don't get to call Yaz grumpy. You are the one who's concealing everything. Like it's 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 uh, an annoying trait that they have uh, insisting on having with this doctor that she's secretive, and it just runs so antithetic. Uh, I don't know if this is the right word. Antithetical. It runs so antithetical to like to her character. Antithetical. 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 Let's try again. <laughs> it runs so antithetical to her character, who is this like puppy dog. And if they're going for the tenant thing of like tenant was like looked like human but he was like uh, you know dark and grim it's not grim it's
1: just mean do you know what I mean um i do and i'm starting to and this is a spin-off of my my good faith in in flux as a whole so we're going to see how this gets uh, rewarded or slapped down again um i am starting to think it's deliberate i i think that there is a a callousness to Jody's Doctor that um, I'm really appreciating now that it's sort of emerging. Like I think the Timeless Child stuff uh, is you know sort of the turning point for her interpretation of the Doctor. Uh, it's like I said to you um, before, like she has this. She's constantly disregarding the people in her orbit in this episode so much that like Yaz has to be the one that does the Tardis introduction for Dan, mm. which is like another really good Yaz moment. Um, but specifically in that scene where Yaz calls her out for being secretive, um, that she she gets so frustrated that she she pulls her like hey haven't i shown you amazing things why are you being ungrateful is the tone of her like pushback on on yaz and that is a fascinating i like point of view for the doctor to have embodied at this point where she's become so single-minded on discovering this part of her past self that she's now dragging her human along um her her requisite companion you know um and i like the idea that jody is specifically tapping into um the way that that is alienating her from her companion um if is this going to be paid off who fucking knows um mm. but i i like to think that it is being deliberate because it it feels so pointed at this point
0: it does feel very pointed and it reminds me of that scene in their like fourth episode way back in series 11 where she says you know are you absolute she like has to re reassur- like ask them for their reassurance that they actually want to come with her and she's like are you sure you want to do this You won't come back as the same people you left as. And it's interesting Mm. because, like, it's almost like she was warning them away from herself and how she could be is how I read it now in this light of this new stuff that's going on. Mm. It's an interpretation.
1: Um no, it, it, it definitely is. Um, I kind of want to power through the rest of the plot because um, before we sat down, we were like, oh, we'll probably get like 20 minutes out of this, 25 minutes tops. We've been sitting here for nearly an hour now. Um, yeah. So... Yeah. Uh, you know, the, the Flux, uh, the Doctor goes off and uh, obviously Dan gets recruited into the TARDIS in a very haphazard way. She's like, I need to go and investigate what this Flux situation is. So she goes and finds it in the galaxy. Uh, she has another Force vision with uh, Mr. Flux where he is now like sort of fully rejuvenated. He's in his like spick little suit and everything. Um, he has that amazing line with her uh, where, I, and this is another thing I got from the subtitles. When he first sees her, he's like, uh, what was it? Uh, it was so efficient you don't remember a trace and like the way that like he's clearly from that sort of um former life that she had uh is is really well woven through the dialogue here Mm. uh the whole idea of them he describes it as we danced across time and space and it's not i mean he goes on to say in combat but the way that he's circling her Is very uh, like semi-sexual to me. That there's definitely undertones to the way that he's interacting with her. I don't think they're going to have a romance or anything like that. But I do think that there is a a respect and a a kind of um, attraction to the kind of being that the Doctor was at the time. And so it'll be interesting to see if this dovetails into the Doctor now becoming a bit more of a callous, you know, time adventurer. If the more she remembers of her past self, the more we see that war-ready Doctor again. I, I think would be quite interesting.
0: Yeah, it mm, it does lead a, a a door open to interpret just how we'll see that if we actually will see some past adventures, probably with the fugitive doctor, um, uh, the lion, yeah, the lion of the like oh we've danced together across the universe stuff. It's I was surprised at how much I bought swarm as a past mortal enemy of the doctor because like there are very few. <laughs> Slots that these, like, new- that new aliens can fit into because you've got the Master, you've got Daleks, you've got Cybermen. They pretty much occupy the top three spots. I'm not saying Swarm comes near them in terms of iconic status, but I believed instantly that he would be that for her. Especially because I think the Flux is something that we haven't really touched on and probably won't for a while because it's so all-encompassing. Um But it is like an eater of worlds. Like you see worlds get completely swallowed up Hmm. in its wake and it's, it's so apocalyptic, um, that I buy the threat of this person in a way. I haven't really bought the threat of a lot of Chibnall
1: villains before. Yeah, no, I completely agree. And I think that a lot of that comes down to the fact that, um, like i said with his humor he has a really bad habit of interjecting humor into serious scenes and every scene that we've seen so far with um swarm has been very played completely straight like jody's getting to act out her dramatic chops uh sam Spurl is playing swarm and he is just chewing that scenery um it's it's just good it's just really good dark dramatic doctor who stuff that, that we really enjoy um So, she figures out she can lead the swarm back... uh, Not the swarm, uh, lead Flux, which, you know, for reference, in case you are listening to this and you haven't actually seen it, it's a giant, like, orange cloud that consumes planets. It's very Galactus-like in that sense. So, she starts leading it back to Earth. Carbonista and all of his mates, like, line up their ships to protect the Earth. She tries blasting it with time vortex energy. (laughs) It's like, remember when Jackie had to,
0: like, offer sexual favours to get a truck? To pull open the TARDIS console. And it's like, you're just going to hit it with a hammer?
1: Um, yes. I know. It's just, it's so, it's so silly. Um, so yeah, look, that that happens that the, the Titus opens up it, it blasts the thing it has no effect on it and because of this she's essentially opened the doors to to uh the the flux it starts barreling towards them we cut to every character that we've met hmm. so far and every one of them being all like oh oh no things are happening and then you know cut to credits right that, that's where we we end on a very apocalyptic cliffhanger i did love that um, sequence it was good
0: right yeah um, but then also that line at the end of Jodie being like, Ew, the apocalypse, I never knew what it would feel like. <laughs> uh, yeah, look, it's a, it's a very clumsy line. It is, it is. Um... but I think leaves us on a very positive, exciting note, um, for the next episode of Flux
1: uh yeah agreed I'm, I'm intrigued to see to see where we go next um i guess rapid fire sort of final thoughts is that yeah like jody's performance here is i think we both had a really good time with her like she's mm. she's funny she's charming dramatic when she needs to be um i still think that she is hampered somewhat by a script that needs her to be such a heavy exposition bot um but when she gets to just imbue the doctor with those little moments uh really really thrives um the music is surprisingly good.
0: Uh, yes. It's still got that... It's very recognizably uh, Nakanola's music, um, but it's just got that added bombast to it, which I really appreciate. Uh, fully agree. Um, Agreed. There's some melodies this time, which is nice. There are some melodies. Um, I think Yaz... Oh gosh, I really want to like Mandip Gill, but I do find her character just severely underwritten. Um... And But I am enjoying seeing her with Dan uh, I think you touched on it briefly before Seeing how Yaz would act with her own companion, as it were, in Dan uh, Is very
1: interesting mm-hmm. Agreed, agreed, very much so um,
0: And, you know, we've got so many yeah. plot threads to pick up We've got, we didn't even mention the Sontarans There was a scene with Sontarans, people Oh my
1: god, <laughs> the Sontarans are here as well
0: um, I don't know. And maybe that's better left till next week because that's actually their episode, for lack of a better word.
1: Yeah, exactly. It'll, it'll be their episode next but week. if you want um, to know our thoughts on the
0: Sundarans, you just go to our Twitter feed because...
1: <laughs> yes.
0: <laughs> that's pretty much it.
1: Um, yeah. Uh, I think that is pretty much it. Now, obviously... On our show, we do like to assign uh, letter gradings to episodes. Um, I am going to do it for each episode hmm. with the caveat that, d- depending on how this all plays out, they are very much subject to change. But for me, the Halloween apocalypse is is a pretty solid maybe uh, I-, I can't decide between a b minus and a b. That's kind of where I'm at.
0: I was thinking b and b plus. I think somewhere between that realm is where I'm sitting,
1: yeah. Which is, you know, much more positive than we've been about 90% of uh, Chibnall's uh, run. So, this is a really good start for us. We're excited. We hope you're excited. Um, please do feel free to reach out to us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, email, whatever's easiest for you. Um, they're all in the show notes, and we said at the top of the show as well, we would love to know how you're feeling about Flux, uh, because this is this is very exciting. Um, I've been James. You can find me on Twitter, at OMGMoreJames.
0: And I've been Callum, and you can find me on Twitter and Instagram, at Theatricallum.
1: Fantastic. We will see you next week for the continued adventures of Mr. Flux and the TARDIS crew. Until
0: then, uh, keep it Fluxy. <laughs> <Ooh. Bye. laughs> I thought it would be cool. <laughs>